Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It is another edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Uh, And as you may have been able to add together here over the course of the existence of this show, uh, there is a part of me that just has a bit of an anxiety when it comes to sitting alone in a studio. I kind of like having some people who are contributing. We always have Liz Stacy doing a great job operating the board in the room next door. I like to have guys either uh, via a connection of some sort uh, joining the show uh, or sitting here in studio with me. It's just fun. I like the banter. I think it's just a little bit more exciting than some of that Mike monologue radio that's out there. Uh, And so uh, that's what we're doing today. We're going to kind of uh, try to pack uh, the show just a little bit uh, with some different voices. In fact, up here in the studio with me, uh, I have KHON2 digital reporter on the sports side. Christian Shimabuku is in the house. Christian, how are you, sir? Uh, great to be here. Um, always great to talk to you, Kanoa. Yeah, no, great uh, great to have you as always. Uh, and via the phone line, are we all good on the phone connection? We have uh, Jordan Helley, who is joining the show from the island of Maui. He is joining via the Aloha Kia hotline. Uh, that is because we, as has been the case here in some recent weeks, uh, had a little bit of trouble with uh, what is known as a tie line uh, box connection. So uh, we are doing what we can to get Jordan involved because we like to talk story with him about all things sports. Jordan, how you doing? What's up, guys? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's nice to nice to hear you guys via the uh, the magic of technology here. Uh, yeah, I probably won't make it to the best and worst, but uh, my worst has been uh, our connection here. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, that's why. We're just going to get you on here at the front end of the show. You've been uh, sitting there. You've been trying to connect. Uh, and so uh, we're going to uh, get into a couple of topics with you before uh, allowing you to get on with your day because this is probably a stress that you really don't need uh, in a, a normal, just random Tuesday situation over there on the island of Maui. But we appreciate you being here. 808-296 is the number to call as well. Uh, you can also text text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, all right, so you had the NBA Finals that wrapped up uh, last night. Also an interesting column that was put out by Stephen Sive, the Honolulu Star advertiser today, uh, claiming or at least making uh, official the announcement that Cal Lee, legendary high school football coach, uh, is, according to him, retired two months ago apparently he was uh, hinting that it was maybe that time uh, and he is walking away from a coaching career that spanned over five decades and of course uh, put together one of the most legendary runs uh, during his time as head coach at St. Louis uh, which topic do you guys want to delve into first what, what's the one that you're feeling right now Christian I'm looking you in the eye here uh, which one of those stories do you think uh, gets you percolating a little bit more I'm not sure at all. Uh, it's up to you guys. Uh, either one works. Well, let's get into Cal Lee then. How about that? Right. Jordan, you good with talking a little bit about uh, prep football and the impact of uh, Cal Lee? Again, uh, at 76 years of age, uh, the most successful coach in the history of Hawaii high school football uh, is officially making it a retirement, calling it a career. Uh, he had two stints as St. Louis head coach covering 27 years. Of course, he spent time during some of the most fruitful years at the University of Hawaii. 
under head coach June Jones. Uh, he has just been a fixture when it comes to Hawaii football, the Lee family, as a matter of fact, whether it was with his brother Ron serving as one of his coordinators or when they flip-flopped in recent years and Ron took over as head coach and Cal Lee was his defensive coordinator. Of course, the two coached together uh, in 1979 when Kaiser won the Oahu Prep Bowl. Uh, when you hear Cal Lee, uh, first off, the news about his retirement, but when you hear the name Cal Lee, what does that conjure up? I'll start with you, Christian. Yeah, I think um, as far as uh, Hawaii high school football is, is concerned, um, yeah, GOAT. I mean, he's the greatest of all time. He's the winningest head coach um, by a lot. Um, and I think the fact that he was able to, um, you know, really put um, multiple dynasties together, um, you know, what he did um, in his early years. And then um, coming back in the, you know, to the mid-2010s, uh, um, putting together a, another dynasty and producing names such as Tua Tagovailoa, you know, putting together a win streak that, um, you know, got them in the multiple, for multiple years, they were um, ranked top 10 in the country. Um, right before the pandemic. So I think in his case, um, there probably is the right time to walk away. Um, you know, St. Louis uh, isn't what they have been in the past few years. Um, they're probably not even the best team in the ILH right now. So, uh, yeah, it's a far cry from, um, you know, the, the St. Louis that we all knew. Yeah, no, it's funny. St. Louis is winning uh, all of these state championships and all of these other sports that were usually associated with other schools and programs. Yeah. Uh, but football has obviously given away a little bit Kahuka becoming the dominant factor there. Uh, Jordan, when you think about Cal Lee, uh, what enters your mind? Yeah, I think just uh, sustained excellence, right? And, and I think Christian's point is a really good one about the fact that he kind of had these two eras, right? The, the, the prep bowl era, I know he won the very first state championship. Yeah, what was it, 14 straight years ultimately? It was 13 straight prep bowls and then the inaugural state championship, if I'm not mistaken? Something like that. Uh, it was, uh, I, I almost lost count, right? I have to go back and look at the um, the record books and uh, tally it all up, but I, I believe you're correct there. And, and then obviously the four straight state championships um, in the uh, in the state tournament era uh, on the back end. And, and to, to think that, you know, for the most part, he had departed St. Louis and there was a bit of a break there because he went and had a very successful time coaching in the collegiate ranks. Like he, he's one of those guys who was able to do that. Right. And, 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 um, you know, as a position coach under June Jones and, and what they were able to kind of continue on for a little bit, there, bridging eras, uh, both he and his brother, but, um, you know, just this, this sustained period. And I think the most interesting thing to me is that he's he's the defensive guy, right? Cal Cal yeah. was the, the genius behind the defense. Um, had done it at different stops. Uh, you know, they they were at Kalani for a little while there. But I think it, it's so funny because his he will forever be linked with that offense, like what St. Louis stood for and what they did, and kind of how they revolutionized how high school football was played in a lot of ways offensively. Uh, and Cal's name gets attached to that, and and hopefully Ron's not a. You know, his brother's not the name that gets forgotten years to, as the years go by and whatnot, and, and obviously he's still in charge there. But, you know, I, I think it's so interesting. It's not like they didn't have a, a plethora of ridiculously good defensive talents over the years. <laughs> uh, and it's not like, it's not like I mean, multiple NFLers, right? They had some, they uh, had some I, guys. I, they had some guys, yeah. They had some dudes. They had some dudes who uh, who could play football on the defensive side. It's not like they it's not like they were only offense. But it's just so funny because I think that's what you think of when you think of St. Louis football, right? Is that is that run and shoot? It's that that passing offense. It's it's uh, again how they revolutionized so many things in quarterbacks. Like I think you know at least on a national level, like they're 
he he built that program into one that is recognized nationally. Like if you say Honolulu, St. Louis, or you, you mentioned St. Louis and Hawaii, like people know, right? And that's because of, in large part because of the quarterbacks that went on to do what they've done at the collegiate level and now what they're doing at the NFL level with, with guys like Marcus and Tua. But yeah, I think, I think that's, that's his lasting legacy in a lot of ways. It's just the, the notoriety and, and he, he built it into a legit national program that's, that's mentioned with, you know, in the same breath as some of the other powers. Yeah, because, I mean, that's that's another thing, right? I mean, this is uh, we're talking primarily, you know, when you carve out his career, the focus and, and the first line will always entail what he did as a prep football coach. And so that comes with a lot, right? You're, you're building these careers, right, or at least establishing a foundation upon which some of the legendary careers uh, for Hawaii-born players uh, were built upon. Uh, but the focus when you're a prep coach is not just trying to succeed in football and have your players succeed further down the road in football, trying to send kids to college. You're trying to turn them into uh, respectable young men, right, which is also one of the pillars and tenets of um, being a St. Louis crusader. And so uh, those seem to really be aligned when it came to Cal Lee. Um, And I think when you see the impact, right, that's another thing you talk about is overall impact. Uh, How much does his legacy resonate throughout what we consider to be the the history, the story of Hawaii football? And I would say that, yeah, he aligned with Ron Lee, the Lee family in many ways. Um, That has been a huge influence on what we have seen transpire, not just in prep football, but even uh, at the college ranks. Uh, the, the, the first case that comes to mind for me is just the career arc of Timmy Chang, right? He goes to St. Louis. It is that run and shoot offense. Uh, he is basically raised in that offense. That just so happens to align with the timing of when June Jones comes to town to take over as head coach at the University of Hawaii, has that great turnaround year in 99, and it was decision time for Timmy Chang. Where is he going to go for his collegiate career? We have to remember Timmy Chang was so highly regarded as a prospect. He had big time programs that were trying to earn his talents, that were trying to uh, draw him to the continent to play his college football. Uh, And so after a long sort of uh, stint and period of research and, and, and dialogue with his parents, he came to the decision that, hey, look, there's a kind of a symbiotic relationship here uh, between my upbringing in the sport of football and what was established at the University of Hawaii under June Jones. And so he makes that what could have been at the time fairly unprecedented decision for a guy of his profile to go to the home team, right, to go to the, the team that's in his backyard, along with, I think at the time, like 13 other, like of the higher ranked uh, Hawaii prospects out of high school, it was one of the, 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 the greatest sort of clean sweeps there and about uh, that the UH uh, has ever had as a football program in terms of local recruiting. Uh, and so he helps to, to lead the way, right, pave the way for that. And then he puts together his, you know, his history, uh, significant career uh, at the University of Hawaii. And then you Fast forward several years, and what does that ultimately lead to? Is Timmy Chang being the head coach at the University of Hawaii? How different would the arc be uh, had it not been, uh, in many ways, cultivated with his time at St. Louis, cultivated under his time uh, under head coach Cal Lee? And, And so to me, that's just one example of the domino effect that having someone with the significance of Cal Lee, the, the, the impact that can occur decades later, decades after the fact, it's remarkable to me. And I think what 
can probably play out if we were to to give this you know a further expanse in terms of our thoughts is you could probably have a thousand of those kinds of stories and and that is uh, i think a testimony to the true power and influence of being a coach or mentor or teacher to young people uh, particularly when you have that level of success and you're able to create these pipelines to bigger and better things for those individuals who you coach who play for you and timmy chang to me is one of the prime examples of the overall impact of a guy like cali yeah for sure and i think um you know that's been a common theme in his second era which started in 2014 um when you look at all the great college prospects that he developed um i think the common theme among all of them is how much they wanted to challenge themselves um not just on the field to be the best team that they could be but also in terms of college like you had guys like Tua move to alabama um you had a guy like jordan Botello uh play at notre dame nick herbig at wisconsin um i think it's just a bunch of guys who you know wanted to explore what was out there for them and in turn st louis became a national program where coaches from all across the country would come to Hawaii just to look at these guys and I think um, it did a great service to the entire state of Hawaii where they're not just looking at St. Louis kids now they're looking at Punahou kids, Cuckoo kids, um, kids all across the islands and not just Oahu, um, the entire state. So I think Cal did a huge service to the entire state not just St. Louis. Yeah yeah any f- uh, further thoughts there Jordan? Yeah look it, it, his programs you know or program I guess in multiple iterations I mean it, it raises the tide right was it great for competitiveness on the field like no they they ran circles around <laughs> they dominated schools yeah. around the state but it, what it did was raise the profile of football in the state right and and look it was incumbent on other schools to kind of keep pace to try and get there obviously what kahuku their process of getting to the point where they had gotten to right um around the turn of the century and trying to compete with st louis trying to win that elusive prep bowl slash state championship read about the the advent of the tournament in 1999 and then obviously we're there at now kind of in this latest iteration trying to go toe-to-toe with some of those big powerful private schools as well right but but what what it did with what st louis did again and kind of going back to my earlier comments is you know they they were they were on the map right their their success brought in large part um de la salle to aloha stadium right and, and obviously it allowed puku to play long beach poly at the same time uh, I think what they've been able to do, right, in, in going to that, uh, you know, end-of-season bowl game uh, in Vegas a few years ago, uh, what was that, 2021 or whatever it was, and playing, um, you know, the, the Florida school there, um, you know, opening opening pathways for that, uh, bringing in high-profile games, whether it's Gorman coming down to play them, um, you know, schools like Mililani who have fully taken advantage, I think, of the respect that Hawaii football has garnered uh, over the years and going up and playing all kinds of different schools, right, whether it's St. John Bosco, whether it's some of these others. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're able to step on the field, not just St. Louis, but some of the other programs that have risen over the course of time, step on the same field as some of the best programs in the, in the country, uh, some of the best programs on the West Coast in the, you know, in, in the western part of the United States and then even beyond that. Uh, where you see some of these matchups, you know, and and I think that is that is where it has really benefited everybody. And then obviously the recruiting level, right? Um, you know, I, I think we we still like to kind of wear the underdog um, hat. I think we still love to, you know, Hawaii collectively, Hawaii football collectively, prep football, youth football, um, that that chip on their shoulder. But you know, it, it's it's really not the 
the hidden circuit it was <laughs> a long time ago. Like it is, it is a very well-known commodity uh, mm-hmm. and Hawaii kids are getting recruited um, like never before. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that, that these kids shouldn't come out with the chip on the shoulder or anything like that, but it is it has opened so many doors, like so many doors. Guys are getting looks. Guys are getting scholarship offers. Um, that just wasn't the case before. I think you know the rise of of St. Louis and then what that catapulted the rest of the state into over the last you know quarter century. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, St. Louis is still at the forefront of the Hawaii prep football conversation when you're talking about the history, right? When you're talking uh, about uh, the the greatness of Hawaii football and the, the, the greatest talent that has come through here, uh, it will still be a conversation that starts with St. Louis, right? That pantheon of prep achievement uh, in, in the gridiron. Um, and so he's the reason. Like, I mean, he is in large part the reason why that is the case. He is St. Louis. St. Louis isn't what we perceive it to be without him. Uh, and I think that that's going to be the legacy ultimately uh, that will live on uh, forever and ever, for sure. All right. Uh, we got Christian Shimabuku. He is the KHON2 Sports Digital Reporter. We got Jordan Helley, who is joining uh, by phone from the island of Maui. Jordan, you want to hang out for one more segment, and then we'll just uh, get into a little bit of NBA Finals stuff? Is that is that cool? Can we, can we uh, call upon you for that? for one more segment. Are you down with that? Yeah, sure, sure. I ain't got any better to do. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Uh, because uh, I was talking with Billy Hull several times here on this uh, particular program, and he kept saying how the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship uh, would maybe be the best story because they had never done it before. And, and so I said, hey, look, I'm not trying to detract from how great the Denver Nuggets are and how great Nikola Jokic is. And now everybody is exposed to his absolute greatness and had one of the greatest playoff runs in the history of basketball that just uh, got completed last night. Uh, but from a story standpoint, you know, I'm talking about just like story. Like, are they going to write a, a Disney movie about that? It's probably not going to happen. It's just there are better storylines that could have played out if, if there were better matchups maybe in the finals. Uh, and I rest my case on what we will talk about on the other side of this break, the fact that even Nikola Jokic himself doesn't seem to be all that thoroughly entertained by the story that is the Denver Nuggets championship. We'll explain when we come back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Let's Talk Sports. Coming to you on this Tuesday. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Christian Shimabuku, who is the digital reporter for KHON2 Sports, is joining me here in studio. We uh, linked up via phone line uh, with my man Jordan Helley from the island of Maui. We were uh, putting him to work. I mean, he was in place already, you know, at his house uh, or home studio, as we will try to uh, dress it up as. Uh, and so, you know, we might as well uh, keep him online here uh, with us for uh, another segment because we're going to get into the NBA Finals. The Denver Nuggets uh, win their first uh, ever uh, championship last night. They wrap it up in five, which was the call by yours truly against the Miami Heat. Um, Nikola Jokic, phenomenal again. I, I just, I don't remember, do you remember the last time he's ever had like a bad game? Like it just doesn't seem like he has bad games. He just, no matter what they throw at him, whether they double him to try to turn him into more of a passer or whether they try to go one-on-one with him and, and try to prevent him from getting other guys 
outsized shots, so he has to call his own number. Like, he just finds a way to dominate. And uh, it was kind of an ugly game last night. You had both teams who shot poorly. What was the Nuggets were ultimately, what, 5 of 28 from 3? Was that the number? Um, really low percentage. I think the Miami Heat shot like 35% from the floor in that game. So it was a bit of a rock fight. Uh, wasn't ex exactly aesthetically pleasing, but there was a little bit of drama uh, towards the tail end. We didn't get playoff Jimmy at all, really, in these NBA Finals. And as a matter of fact, uh, in the key moments down the stretch, he had that turnover where it looked like he was hesitant. Nobody was going for his pump fake, really, since the Boston Celtics kind of, uh, I think, exposed that scouting report on him. Like, just stay on your feet, especially if you have some bigger bodies um, like Aaron Gordon, who I thought was such an X factor for the Denver Nuggets in this series. And then Jimmy Butler rushes a three, misses it badly, and that was pretty much uh, all she wrote. He did, you know, hit some some big shots in the fourth quarter to try to keep them afloat uh, as their season was on the line. But uh, where are we with our reaction to this championship by the Denver Nuggets? It does kind of feel like we could be at the front end of something pretty significant because they are likely to be the favorites going into next year, right? And they went through some pretty tough competition. This was kind of a strange strange year in the NBA overall, but you figure now that you have NBA Finals experience for a guy like Nikola Jokic, for a guy like Jamal Murray, they're going to be a team that some people will look at and clearly feel like, okay, they've got to be the favorite to win it again next year. However, there doesn't seem to be as much of an overall excitement or, or overall... Um, uh, it, it doesn't seem to be resonating maybe with the, the vast sort of basketball community, even some of uh, the more casual fans of basketball across the country uh, as it would if it were another team. And so it got me thinking, because I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan, and we had some great years, man. Oh, we had some great years. Some people like to call it a dynasty, but they never actually won back-to-back, -back, but they won a plethora of championships. And uh, I just wonder, is this how, because I was so you know enthralled and I was just in the middle of it along with my guy uh, Brian McInnes um, we were celebrating it and just felt like you know heaven on earth but I'm wondering is this kind of how it felt from the outside for like non-Spurs fans when the Spurs were winning championships and it was like Tim Duncan an absolute beast one of the all-time greats and a great supporting cast but you know they're not necessarily headline makers they're not necessarily guys who who uh, live it up for the cameras they're not super into the celebrity certainly their star player in Tim Duncan same can be said here about Nikola Jokic and it just kind of was met even despite their greatness with a meh yeah they're great but meh is that how it was when the Spurs were winning what do you guys think Jordan uh yeah well um I think, uh, you know, the, the commonality between these two teams is um, there is a lot of respect towards um, the way at which they went about it, especially the Spurs um, when they took down the Heat in 2014, playing the way that they play um, against a, a team, a super team like the Miami Heat. Um, and I think yesterday, as you saw with the Nuggets, um, you know, this is a team that was put together organically. Um, there wasn't any big free agent signings. It was um, a team that developed their own people. Um, stuck with their coach, Michael Malone, um, not Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't do a Cassidy Hubbard then uh, call him Mike Malone. He'll correct you. Remember that a couple of years ago? Anyway, continue. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for some people, not all, it's just a breath of fresh air to see a team that, you know, saw it through with their main uh, star players and Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. Um, yeah, and so, um, and it is a sustainable model because all five stars are going to be back. Um, Bruce Brown could come back if he takes a pay cut, but probably not. Hmm. 
Um, but yeah, they're the Vegas favorites already heading into the next year. And um, yeah, it's a very sustainable model where um, other, across other pro sports, I think the biggest example is the Los Angeles Rams. They won the Super Bowl um, recently, but now they, they're pretty decimated. Um, so yeah, I think the Nuggets are, for some people, not all, uh, a breath of fresh air. All right, uh, Jordan, what do you think? Now, I, I, I should also qualify what I'm saying uh, with the fact that the ratings were actually pretty good for Game 5 uh, last night, at least the overnight reports on that. So uh, I, 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 we shouldn't necessarily be so bold as to suggest that like nobody cares about this, but you also have to keep in mind that the ratings the last several years in the NBA have been down in general, and it is a far cry from even the Game 5 uh, in, what, 2019 Warriors and Raptors like that one got like 5 million more viewers or something like that uh, on average. So uh, it's down, you know, it, it, just, it, it wasn't sort of the um, the celebrated series that maybe we have seen in other past iterations. How did it hit you, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some things that kind of lend itself to that, right? It's their Denver. <laughs> like if you're, if you're going to market a team from the mountains time zone, it usually doesn't quite resonate the same way. Right, they're not on a. They're not one of the coastal teams. They're not Chicago. Um, they're not some of the the bigger markets. Um, you know, and, and obviously, what the Nuggets have been able to do here over the last handful of years, and kind of their ascendancy, right, with with Jokic becoming the the well respected and, and just dominant player that he is. But yeah, I mean, I think you know it, it's it's so interesting because I think Jokic. What makes him interesting to me is that he is so bland. <laughs> like he is almost boring in a lot of ways. He's so bland. He's interesting. Yeah, and and even like his game in like he, I I just I took quite the amusement over the course of maybe the Western Conference Finals. You know that matchup against the Lakers, and then this this NBA Finals because I think that's when a lot of the casuals just tune in. Right, there aren't very many basketball games, and so how many people that I think we all know that kind of almost discovered Jokic <laughs> for the first time and realized what an amazing basketball maestro he is and just like how baffling it kind of is. Like, mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of people a while to wrap their brains around a, the fact that a guy who looks like him is so good and so dominant in, in basically, you know, multiple facets of the game and how he controls things. It's like, wait, that guy, how is, wait, what, how is he so good? And, and and then you almost, and then for, for somebody, I think, you know, guys like us who maybe watch so much more, it's almost you get spoiled. Like you almost, I wouldn't say you get bored by it, but you almost come to expect him to just have triple doubles. Like you point out, like his bad games are like 25, 12, and 6. Like those are his bad games. Uh, he's just ridiculous. And so that, that what I find fascinating about him is that we've almost become just used to his greatness yeah. already at this point and his, his lack of, outward personality, his lack of traditional marketability, his lack of, um, you know, polished media savvy um, is almost what makes him so interesting to me because he's like the counter. Right? Sure. He's sort of the antithesis to like the modern superstar in a lot of ways. And then the fact that, you know, he plays in Denver again, you know, and, and I, I, I know you've brought up the Spurs is kind of the parallel like this. And correct me if I'm wrong. I may be completely off base here, but doesn't it kind of feel like when Milwaukee won? Like three years ago, two uh, years ago. Interesting, right? Yeah. It's like it's like Giannis is great. He's amazing. He still is. Um, he's an MVP. Uh, he defeated uh, a team of maybe uh, you know that, that that Phoenix team with Booker and, and Chris Paul. But it, it it they're in Milwaukee. Yeah. You know, it's like at the end of the day, like where, was it 
covered, followed, celebrated, not necessarily by the mainstream media, but, but just by like the general zeitgeist, the same way that like Lakers heat was even in the bubble, like all those Warriors teams, right? The fact that LeBron was in every finals for like a decade. <laughs> and that was like the first one that didn't involve Steph or LeBron in a long, long time. Uh, I don't know. It kind of feels like that. Like we all kind of know how great Giannis is. We all know, you know, the, the, the magnitude of that Milwaukee team, but I don't know if we kind of hold them in the same reverence as some of these other teams, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, and I don't really want to, like, be a, a market snob, so to speak, right? Like, I do enjoy the disposition of Nikola Jokic. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, but I'm just saying, there's just, you know, uh, the, the argument was sprouted out of Billy Hull, uh, who was, you know, has been a co-host uh, with, the, uh, you know, on this show with me, uh, you know, over the years. And um, his basically saying he thought the Denver Nuggets would be the best story of these NBA playoffs. And I, that was where I pushed back, saying, like, well, there are better stories, obviously. Uh, and, yeah, you know, part of it is because of the market, part of it is because it's Denver. You know, I mean, even their uniforms are kind of boring, right? Like, it's just, there's just, there's blandness there. Uh, it's not just quite as sexy as some other matchups or some other teams that have maybe a little bit more star power, so to speak. And, that, you know, that's probably healthy for the NBA for for there to be other teams with other stars that, that you know, are exposed to... Uh, the, the mainstream fan base, even the casual fans can, can learn to appreciate it. That's how the NBA can expand and, and become more generally popular. So that's a good thing. But there were clearly better stories. And now my, my, my uh, evidence here, uh, what I will rest my case on, uh, is that Nikola Jokic himself seems to be bored by the story that is the Denver Nuggets winning the championship. Uh, I don't know if you saw the clip of the champagne shower, right, in the locker room where everyone's, like, spraying each other with champagne. Uh, he looked like he was so uninterested in that. He just kind of shook his champagne bottle around um, like it was a little rattle for, like, two seconds and then kind of moved on, went about his business. In the post-game press conference, he just it, it didn't look like he just won a championship. Um, you know, it, it, it looked like, you know, he just uh, learned that his car broke down or something like that. Uh, they were asking him, one of the reporters asked him, because after the Lakers series, uh, he actually commented, like, you know, I thought I would feel more. And so one of the reporters asked him, like, you know, how are you feeling now that you've won the whole thing? Are you excited? Are you excited about the parade? And he ends up looking at the media relations uh, director uh, to the side of, of the podium. Uh, and he's like, well, parade? W when's the parade? When's the parade? And uh, the answer was, oh, it's Thursday. And then he, like, runs his fingers over his hair uh, almost in that, like, exasperated fashion. Uh, and he's like, oh, I need to go home. Like, he is so over it. Like, he is so bored with dominating basketball for an entire year and having one of the greatest overall playoff performances. I think he's the first player in history to actually win a championship and lead the entire postseason in points, assists, and rebounds. Like, the first ever. Like, this is unprecedented stuff. And he's bored with it. Uh, he even made a comment because people were saying, why are you so you know unexcited? And he's like, well, you know, everybody sort of, you know, hates their job. Most people don't like their job. And it's like, oh my god, this guy is not here for that stuff. Which, again, can be refreshing in some capacities, but I rest my case on the fact that I felt like the Denver Nuggets just weren't that interesting overall of a story, and I rest my case on the fact that their best player, one of the greatest players perhaps in the history of basketball, is also seemingly very bored by the Denver Nuggets winning a championship. So are you guys on board with me now, Jordan? Are, are you on board with me here in this stance? I mean, so again, I, I kind of go back to, like, I don't, this makes it more fascinating. <laughs> like the fact, the fact that he's sort of 
like just doing this because he's good at it. And uh, I mean, I think he enjoys it to a to a bit. But like, there, that's it's 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 kind of crazy that there there are guys like this, right? Because again, he's I don't think he's the norm. Um, you know, when it comes to you know, it's like, oh man, married to the game, like grew up love like love basketball and kind of stuff. But there are dudes who like you know, kind of somewhat known, like didn't love the sport, right? Like I don't, like Eric Dickerson didn't really love football. Like Jack Nicholas, I think somewhat famously, like not really a big golfer, <laughs> you know, he's not like a real casual golfer. He just happened to be really good at golf uh, and was like, I'm just going to keep doing this because I'm really good. And, uh, you know, he, he liked competing and things like that. But I, I think if he was good at something else, you know, and this kind of leads you to down. And I, I don't know. I just find this so fascinating because yeah. here's this guy from Serbia who all the pictures have been circulated of like chubby young Jokic and like <laughs> him at five years old, like wearing a nugget sweater. And like, I don't know, man, like, like I've almost, I want, because he is such a, um, you know, maybe a reserved guy. We don't know. We haven't been able to crack the, the shell of him and we haven't quite gotten to know what makes him tick necessarily because I do get kind of fascinated by some of these guys and their psychology and their mentality and how they approach and why they, how do you, how do you get that good at anything, right? Like how do you be that great at anything? Um, and if he's telling us that it's like, well, you know, it's kind of a job. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm more intrigued by him. Yeah. Uh, the more this goes, uh, because he's just, he, he didn't quite fit the bill. Yeah. You know? And not, uh, other not than the fact and, that he is ridiculously good. Yeah. And it's not like in the, um, disgruntled fashion that Kevin Durant claims to say, I just want to come to work. I want to ball out and then I want to go home. Right. Like there's still an interest in basketball. I think Kevin Durant just gets somehow, you know, really, uh, you know, he feels like the, the whole, public celebrity part uh, kind of sullies the experience for him and part of it is because you know he's just a little bit overly sensitive i think to some of the social media stuff as as a lot of uh, younger generation people are uh, but Nikola Jokic's stance is even different from that. Like his is almost like indifference. He was joking that uh, he was trying to finagle uh, the Nuggets president Josh Kroenke into getting him a private plane to get him home to Serbia by Friday, uh, and definitely at least by Sunday because one of his race horses apparently is competing on Sunday. And so like he's more concerned after having just won the championship and having put together one of the greatest uh, performances, being the the lowest draft pick ever to win NBA Finals MVP. He's more. Concerned Concerned with getting to his horses for Sunday's horse races than he is about anything else and celebrating uh, a parade with the fans. Like that's that's unreal stuff, Christian. Yeah, I think um, you know, in terms of Denver being a story, um, it really is a matter of perspective because I think uh, Jokic himself hasn't really done much to advance it. But I think in other ways, um, you know, all of this endears himself to to more people. But I think when you look at Denver's other players, um, it does make it a great story. Jamal Murray. The fact that he didn't play last year, the fact that um, this is his seventh year and he's never been an all-star, yeah. but he's still a superstar, um, you got to feel great for a guy like that. Yeah, no, I, I, again, again, <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, suggest that there is nothing cool about the Denver Nuggets. It's just, I think, comparatively speaking, uh, they were not, the thing I pushed back on, they were not the the best story. But that's oh, yeah. neither here nor there because you know what they are? Uh, they're the champs and they're hoisting the hardware and Nikola Jokic, the, the secret is out. If it, For whoever still thought it was kind of a secret going into the postseason, uh, the secret is out. Uh, that dude is an all-time, all-time 
all-time great. Um, and I love your comparison of how it just looks like when he's in a full sprint, it looks like he's running in slippers. Yeah. That's exactly right. That is exactly how Nikola Jokic uh, plays the game. All right, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. I also want to be able to cut you loose, uh, Jordan. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a couple of segments. Uh, sorry again about the uh, other connection, but thanks for uh, pulling an audible with us and joining us by phone. Uh, always good talking with you. We still got Christian Shimabuku here uh, in the house. And uh, before we uh, really let you go here to commercial break, I uh, just want to remind everybody, beat the heat with Fujitsu Air Conditioning System. Fujitsu includes a special trifecta warranty that will have you saying, I love my Fujitsu. Shoots, Jordan. All right, we'll be back. More Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Lehi here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Big mahalo to Jordan Helley for joining us from the island of Maui for a couple of those segments. Still got Christian Shimabuku, KHON2 digital sports reporter. Uh, he is uh, in the house here in studio with me. We were talking about the NBA Finals. Uh, we'll flip it over a little bit from the Denver Nuggets, uh, who were just really, really impressive and, and will obviously go into next season uh, as a favorite. Um, but it's interesting, right? This was kind of a weird year in the NBA. Uh, if Michael Porter Jr. shoots or performs the way he did in the finals in the previous series, we could be talking uh, completely different. We could be talking about the Lakers having made it uh, to the finals because he looked like Clay Thompson in that series. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, a guy who is making comparable money to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, by the way, um, just kind of disappeared. And in fact, his minutes were cut. He was playing like 21 minutes uh, a game for a while. There did play a little bit better in that clincher yesterday. Um but it was just kind of a weird overall year. I mean, the Miami Heat are the perfect example, right? The eight seed making it all the way to the finals. Uh, it's an eight seed with an asterisk, though, because they were the top seed with very much the same players last season. Let's flip it over to them. What do we do with them? The notion of playoff Jimmy, right? And, and we've seen it in spots. We saw it in the bubble when they made it to the finals that year uh, and how he was able to go superhero mode, put on the cape, and just absolutely will his team uh, to victories. Did it again in the early stages of this playoff run um, and, and gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, it seems, because it seems like whenever he doesn't play up to that superhuman level, uh, the assumption is, oh, he must be hurt. And that very well could be the case. Uh, he, to that end, said after the game last night that his ankle was fine, uh, but there were moments where it looked like he was timid. And I think, you know, he gets, again, a little bit of that benefit of the doubt, but is it time, based on how that game ended and some of the poor decisions that he made and, and some of the, the plays that he wasn't able to complete uh, when everything was on the line, um, does the narrative about Jimmy Butler change? Where What do we do with the Miami Heat culture conversation after the result uh, of these NBA Finals? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for them, um, I think they will enjoy having some time off. I think pretty much the whole team was banged up. Um, they didn't have Tyler Hero. They didn't end up using him. Um, and, and a bunch of players are banged up. Uh, as much as Jimmy Butler doesn't want to admit it, he did look like a hindered version of himself. And so, yeah, it's it's a very big offseason for the Heat because, um, you know, key contributors like Caleb Martin, um, Gabe Vincent, they're on expiring contracts. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. what do you do with those? 
Um, I think another uh, big thing was, you know, Dame Lillard saying that the Heat would be his team uh, if he were traded there. So there's so many different directions you can go if you're the Heat. But I think one thing for sure is that, um, you know, when they fill out the bottom of their roster, like they're going to find really good dudes as they always have. Um, It's just uh, who's at the top now? Is it going to be Dame? Is it still going to be Jimmy? Uh, What are they going to do? It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, no, exactly. I I think they have... The consistency that is Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and that that tandem, uh, that's what creates culture, right? When you have constants like that, uh, when when you're able to have continuity from year to year, that's what creates culture. And it just so happens to be a culture of of, of winning or or at least of contending uh, in in most years. Um, and so yeah, that's that's going to be there. I think you have some players that have helped set that tone. Jimmy Butler would be that, but again, kind of faded. And we have seen that even in the bubble in the finals against the Lakers didn't quite have enough in the tank to try to finish the deal um you know I think that has been the criticism even since the bubble of of Kawhi Leonard right it's like how much can you rely on these guys whether it's because of injury or not that their bodies will hold up for the duration of a playoff run of a championship playoff run I think that narrative might have to change a little bit with regard to Jimmy Butler this this notion of playoff Jimmy is real but how sustainable is it? This is now the second time that we've seen it kind of fade a little bit once it came to the NBA Finals, or at least the end of the NBA Finals in this particular series. Um, we didn't really see that vintage playoff Jimmy performance. We saw it in flashes in the fourth quarter last night, but when it was on the line, he wasn't really able to conjure that up. So how much do they give that thought, right? Do, is, is Jimmy still our, our guy? Is he still the alpha that we need out there? I think they got to get bigger because I think in this series, that's really in, in large part what it came down to. If the Miami Heat weren't shooting well, and miraculously they were still in that game last night despite shooting like 35% from the field, but when they're not shooting threes, which was the case most of the season, even though they were one of the top three-point shooting teams in all of basketball last year, turn that around in the postseason when they're not shooting threes sticking outside shots they're just a little small certainly as compared to a team like the denver nuggets and and again you know nikola Jokic is, is going to wear the crown and he deserves it jamal murray was an absolute stud i didn't really think that he could conjure up a bubblicious jamal murray especially on the road but he did that uh in, in multitude here in these playoffs but a guy who was the X Factor to me was Aaron Gordon because of his size, his length, uh, his ability to start fast breaks, finish fast breaks for sure. And what he was able to do defensively against Jimmy Butler um, many times, staying on his feet, not going for the pump fake. Um, this was a Denver Nuggets team that I think its size just was a little too much for the Heat to handle. So they probably have to get bigger, right? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, when you think about the gems that they've uncovered, they're all kind of guards and wing types. Uh, you know, Max Struess is another one. But when you look at the big men they had, like Cody Zeller and Kevin Love, <laughs> uh, those guys are not really the answer. I think, um, you know, Heat Culture, as you mentioned, their next gem would probably have to be, you know, a big man. But I think, um, you know, the biggest uh, takeaway is how, you know, it really has reemphasized um, how important the stars aligning is for a championship run. Um, because they beat the Bucks twice um, in the past three years because Giannis was banged up. Yeah, and that was I mean, he basically missed Bucks. three games in that mm-hmm. series against the Heat. Yeah, for sure. And uh, a guy like Michael Porter Jr., um, if he was injured like he has been in the past, or if Jamal Murray was injured like he has been in the past, we wouldn't be talking about the Nuggets, yeah. and that's the reality of it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it is injury luck uh, is a big part of it. For yeah, sure. that's a big part of it. The Miami Heat uh, will be the signature example of uh, 
load management working in the offseason, right? And kind of having a lot of guys who miss a lot of time, save it for the postseason a little bit. We know what we have. And they definitely played with fire. Uh, but you knew what they were capable of, even if it didn't quite manifest itself in the regular season. Uh, and sure enough, uh, even as an eight seed, uh, they were able to make a an, an really incredible run. Uh, and I think have reason to feel proud. Uh, they just ran into, I think, what we can all agree for sure uh, was just a better team. All right, Domino's Pizza Hawaii. They are a supporter of Let's Talk Sports. If you order online or via the app, you get as much as 20% off on your order. Domino's Pizza of Hawaii, we deliver aloha. Best and worst when we come back. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Got Christian Shimabuku, KHON2 Sports Digital Reporter. You can follow him as well on the social media platforms. A lot of good information there. Let's get to our best and worst, Christian. What is your best here for today? Yeah, my best is um, former Iolani point guard, J.J. Mandiquit. Um, getting the start for Team USA at point guard in the FIBA Under-16 America's Championship. USA went 6-0, and overwhelming every team, blitzing them. Uh, you know, pressing the whole game, uh, overwhelming teams with athleticism. <laughs> and it's just really cool to, even though he, he attends Real Salt Lake Academy in Utah, um, the way he still, uh, you know, puts Hawaii on his back and represents Hawaii, um, it's pretty cool to see uh, he's going to be a junior this fall. Um, he's starting to hear from some huge schools yeah. like Gonzaga and UCLA. So, um, you know, as we always knew about him, the future is very bright. Yeah, it uh, does have an offer from the University of Hawaii, but um, yeah, I would imagine that the Hawaii coaches are looking at that like, hey, that's a great accomplishment for this guy to be a starter, in essence, at point guard <laughs> with these other like future NBA first round picks for Team USA, but uh, probably doesn't bode all that well maybe yeah. for uh, their chances of getting him because you're, you're right, the, the competition is going to be thick. Uh, my best, Maui Ohuna from Hawaii uh, hits a homer in the seventh inning for Tennessee in uh, yesterday's uh, Super Regional to send the Vols to the College World Series. They ended up winning 5-0 uh, uh, in that game, and so they're off to the College World Series. Maui Ohuna with a uh, home run in that game over Southern Miss. All right, what's your worst? Um, Stanford baseball. Um, a couple of things they <laughs> in did general. just didn't sit right with me. Um, their ace pitcher, Quinn Matthews, uh, draft prospect, 156 pitches um, on Sunday. Um, if it's your last ride, then that's fine, but he's a legit MLB draft prospect. And then yesterday they walked it off um, on a routine pop fly that was lost in the lights, and yeah. you feel bad. Yeah, that's a bummer. Uh, my worst, uh, Conor McGregor knocking out the Miami Heat mascot <laughs> and then followed up with a punch while he was already down on the ground. The mascot uh, had to go to the ER. Yeah, go check it out. Check out the clip. It's, uh, it's bothersome. All right, that's it for us. Big thanks to Christian. Big thanks to Jordan. See you next time, everybody. Aloha.